Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. I'm Pastor Ken of Faith Dialogue, and we are in a sermon series called Unstoppable. It's based on the New Testament book of the Acts of the Apostles. So today we're going to be continuing in chapter 13, and we'll finish this chapter today. This is actually our third week in this, thir- uh, this 13th chapter of the book of Acts. Uh, so you can tell that we're, we're kind of taking our time. There's no need to rush through the Bible. There's really no need to do that. Take your time. Allow the Word of God to sink in and to have its, its effect. Uh, we honor the Bible as the Word of God, which it, which it truly is. It's written for our benefit. It, it gives us wisdom. It trains us. And it gives us great comfort and hope. In Acts 13, we find the Apostle Paul on his first missionary journey. This is likely about 15 years after after Pentecost. And Paul, along with Barnabas, were sent from the church in Antioch. Now, the church in Antioch, we haven't talked about it, but the church in Antioch was actually one of the five pillars uh, of the early church. These were five centers of Christianity, and they were all headed by bishop that we actually call patriarchs. These are five patriarchs. These patriarchs had great authority, all of the churches in their geographical region. Like Antioch, all of these were associated with with important cities in the Roman Empire. Um, And this continued well through the Middle Ages. In the early church, um, in the early church, along with Antioch, the five patriarchs were in cities of not only Antioch, but Alexandria, Jerusalem, Constantinople, and Rome. It was in Antioch during the first few centuries that truly became uh, like the center uh, of theology. So today, let's, let's pick up where we left off in Acts chapter 13. We're going to be reading beginning in, in verse 42. And, and Peter has just preached a, a great sermon, a great message. It's actually the longest sermon recorded in the Bible. And that's another reason why it's taken us three weeks uh, to get through this, this 13th chapter of the book of Acts. The title for today's message is Response, Rejection, and revival. Response, rejection, and revival. Think of it as the three R's, and and they're set up very, very nicely in, in these verses for today. Let me begin reading in verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. 
When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men in the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So, so Paul and Barnabas were in present-day Turkey. Uh, and Paul is preaching, notice, to a, to a mixed audience. They're both Gentiles as well as Jews. And this is a Gentile city, but Paul, as his custom would have it, uh, would go first to the synagogue, to the local synagogue, and had have the opportunity typically to preach. Uh, now, this was initially true in the life of Paul, but after Paul's fame grew out throughout uh, the, the Jews throughout Europe, uh, Paul was uh, invited less and less to actually speak in the synagogues. And Paul is again preaching to a mixed groups, and they're both Jews and Gentiles. So first, I want you to notice the response. Remember our message today is response, rejection, and revival. So we're going to deal with the response first. After leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things the, the very next week. Now this is a great response. It really is. So you see, the door is now, now open. People want to hear more. One of my seminary professors told me that it was better for a preacher to preach less, wanting people to want more, than to preach more and having the people actually want less. Think about it. That's, that's always true. I think all too often we, we try to close the deal when we're, when we're using the scriptures and we're trying to persuade people. We, we try to close the deal. We expect that we're capable of communicating everything that they need to know uh, in this life-changing event called the, the New Covenant. It's sealed in the blood of Jesus uh, that was spilled on the cross at Calvary. We do communicate all of this and we expect a response that is amen. Hands go up, people get saved, the name is written in the Bible. But actually, that's not the preferred approach. The preferred approach is to, to open the door. Allow the Word of God to settle in people's hearts. Allow God to be able to, to speak to them and for them to ask more and to begin to, to teach them. This is the beginning of the discipleship process. Uh, this is not a one-time event where people raise their hands and get saved. This is a discipleship process and that takes time. We want people to want to learn more about the Word of God. So what kind of response should we expect when we share the Gospel? Well, the first response I always want is I want to be invited back. We hope that people will come back to church the next week. We hope that they, they tune in. For us today in the 21st century, we want them to get, go back to our YouTube channel. We want them to tune in the next week to, to listen to more audio podcasts, to watch more videos. We want them to, to want more. And, and when we get the response that is more likely, when we see that this, this door is open, we want to take the opportunity to tell them more. Verse 14 says that after the service, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism, uh, this is, again, remember, a response from a mixed congregation, followed Paul and Barnabas, and, and notice what Paul and Barnabas encouraged them to do. It says they urged them to continue in the grace of God. 
So what does this mean? What is this, this grace of God? Uh, remember, this is part of the response. This is part of the response of hearing the gospel. It's God that is actually doing the calling. It's God's grace that is calling the people to him. Jesus said, go out and, and make disciples. And that's our job. But, but God is actually the one that's doing the work. You see, the grace of God is what enables people to be saved. It's the, grace, the grace of God is not about us. It's all about God. The grace of God is given enabling people to believe. Now, did some people believe at this point? Most likely so. But they all want to learn more. They all want to know more. That's how grace works. Grace is from God, and it's all about God, and it continues with God, and it's received through God. It's not about us. It's never about us. God extends grace to people even though they don't deserve it. Uh, my friend, Pastor Bill Vanderbush, wrote a book recently called Reckless Grace. I, I love the book because it illustrates the challenge of living a grace-filled life. Grace, by its nature, means that we don't get what we deserve. Now, some of you are familiar with the concept uh, of karma. Karma, uh, karma is pretty easy to, to explain. Karma means that if you do something good, uh, good will happen to you. If you do something bad, then bad things will happen to you. But here's the thing, and you probably never thought of it this way, but grace is the opposite. We are by nature bad. That's what the Bible says. And God gives us good things, amazing things. He gives us his love, his gives us forgiveness, not only so that we're, we're cleaned up, but we're brought into his house. We become kingdom kids. And all of this is a gift. It, it's a gift not only that we receive, but then we have the opportunity to extend it to others as well. It, it's the gift that truly keeps on giving. Now, we should, respect, we should expect when we present the gospel, when we share our faith with others, we should expect a response. And the response, hopefully, is something that, somebody that asks for, for more. This is constantly challenging for us. But because, and the reason it's challenging for us is because what we're telling them is actually incredible and almost inconceivable. So, so let's go on to the next step. This is the response. And we're going to see the next step, especially with Paul and Barnabas. The next step is, is rejection. So verse 44, we see what happens the next week. The next Sabbath. And the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And see, this is what happens. They had heard the gospel the first week, and it was the grace of God that was moving in their hearts. And there was an anticipation that they would be able to hear more. There was, there was plenty of good news in the gospel. That's actually what the gospel means. It means good news. And, and, that's, and, that, and they wanted to hear more. Now, in, in Greek literature, one of the literary devices that's used, and we see it here, is called hyperbole. It's a figure of speech, and it involves exaggeration. However, I believe in this case, likely Dr. Luke, the author of the books of uh, the Acts of the Apostles, is not exaggerating. And the reason is, is because we can see the reaction of the Jews to literally the whole city coming to hear Paul and Barnabas. Verse 45, it says, When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy 
and they began to contradict what Paul was saying and they heaped abuse on him. <laughs> so welcome to my friend, my friend called rejection. Perhaps you know my friend. Perhaps you've been rejected, whether it's in life, in love, in, in your career, maybe a marriage. Well, here's the thing I want you to know. Don't feel like you're alone. All of us have, have, um, have received rejection. All of us have this friend called, called rejection. Uh, maybe you've heard some of these stories before. For example, Walt Disney was fired from the Kansas City Star in 1919 because his editor said that Walt Disney lacked imagination, had no good ideas. Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll, was told by the concert hall manager at the Grand Ole Opry that he had no career in music. And, he, and the manager encouraged him to return to Memphis and, and go back to driving trucks. Babe Ruth, uh, who once held the major league record uh, for uh, home runs, also had the major league record for strikeouts. Henry Ford uh, filed bankruptcy twice before founding the Ford Motor Company. Now let's move out of the secular world, these are all secular rejections, and into the sacred to see if we can get some insight how to react when we face rejection when we're sharing the gospel, when we're doing the Lord's work. Paul and Barnabas were facing this type of rejection from the Jews, and they were doing exactly what God had told them to do. Back in the Old Testament, Samuel was the, the last of a long line of judges. The people of Israel didn't have a king. Their king was, was God. So God had given them judges, and judges were there to, to help settle disputes. They were, they were ruled by judges when the rest of all of their neighbors had kings. However, the people rebelled, and they wanted Samuel to give them a king. We read about it in 1 Samuel. Give us, a, give us a king to judge us. Their demand was displeasing in the sight of Samuel. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For it is not you that they've rejected, but me. The scripture today says the Jews were jealous. You can imagine what these Jews were, were thinking. They were thinking, like, who are these newcomers, Paul and Barnabas? Who do they think they are? Don't they understand that, that the Jewish people are God's promised people? These are the people that, that receive the Messiah. These are the people that receive the blessings of God. Not these, not these Gentiles. Don't they know that salvation is of the Jews? God is the God of, of Israel, after all. He's the God that appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Uh, that's our God, not, not their God. You know, I, I found often that even though the Bible says it's, that the Lord, this, 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 the gospel would be a stumbling block, I find often that what, what happens in people's heart is they realize all of the things that they have that have to take a back seat to the gospel because God wants to be preeminent in their life. The, these Jews prided themselves in being Jewish. It was like a small exclusive club that they belonged to. Um, and it wasn't for everyone. Uh, if it was for everyone, they would have to rethink the whole idea of what it meant to be Jewish. Notice it says they began to contradict what Paul was saying. You know, this is, this is a really a sad story, and it was, it was actually prophesied. Psalm 118 verse 22 talks about the 
the cornerstone or the stone that was rejected became the, cor the chief cornerstone. Jesus actually quoted this well-known psalm, Psalm 118, and he regarded the stone that the builders were rejecting was he, was him, himself. They were rejecting Jesus, these Jewish leaders that were the ones that actually the Messiah was coming for were rejecting him. And this was so unfortunate. However, in this prophecy that the cornerstone, that this actually became this cornerstone, is a prophecy of the triumph, ultimate triumph of, of, of Jesus. Because in Jesus' death and resurrection, we now have the grace of God that's spilled abroad, that the whole world can be saved. And that's what's happening today. We have the, we had the birth of the church at Pentecost. And as a result, uh, all of us, all of us can be, be saved. These builders are, are the religious leaders of the Jewish nation. They refused to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. When Barnabas and Paul came preaching Jesus as the Messiah and offered the free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins and eternal life to the Gentiles, they became jealous. They may have been able to accept a Messiah that changed some, but, but not all of their traditions and practices. They, these Jews were not allowed, they were not about to allow the floodgates to open and the Gentiles to be received by God and be treated uh, just as the Jews were, as, as people of God, as brothers and sisters, as redeemed sons and daughters of, of God. Let's continue, verse 46. Paul and Barnabas says, since you reject it and do not consider yourself worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. You know, Paul and Barnabas are actually being pretty bold. And they're telling these Jews, these leaders of the synagogue, that it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but now you've rejected it. Now, this continues to be Paul's theme throughout the rest of his ministry. He will find great success in bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, aren't you glad? <laughs> aren't you glad? My guess is that the vast majority of the people that are either watching or listening to this broadcast are, are Gentiles. Uh, we're not Jewish by, 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 by <laughs> we're, not, we're not born into the Jewish world. We're, we're, we're Gentiles. Uh, and, and Paul continues, however, to have a heart for the Jewish people. In, in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Then he says, first to the Jew, but also to the Gentile. Now, see, Paul is always going to be giving deference to the Jews. He tells these leaders quite plainly, since you rejected it, we gave it to you first, but since you rejected it, we're now going to go to the Gentiles. It says, since you rejected and judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Later in the same epistle to the Romans, Paul speaks specifically about this. In Romans chapter 11, Paul says this. He says, I asked then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of, of Benjamin. And, and Paul goes on. This, this jealousy that we see in part of the Jewish leaders is actually something that Paul believes will ultimately work for their good. Again, in Romans chapter 11, Paul speaks about his ministry to the Gentiles. And he says, but I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. 
inasmuch that I myself an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry if somehow I may move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. So Paul believes that the jealousy that they're actually experiencing ultimately can bring many of them to salvation. That's 11, Romans 11, uh, chapter 11, verses 13 and 14. So we've, we've talked about these verses so far today, and we've seen first the response. Uh, there were many of these Jews and Gentiles that were initially moved, and they wanted to hear more from Paul and Barnabas. And we said that this, this actually should be typical. We want people to, to he, want to hear more more of the Word of God. We don't want to push so hard to make the sale. We want to allow the Word of God to have its effect. God is in charge of this process and we don't have to feel like we're in a hurry. Secondly, we've, we've discussed this rejection and we see that rejection is natural. It's, it's common. It should be expected. Don't be surprised when you're rejected. We also mentioned people like Walt Disney and Elvis Presley and Babe Ruth. They were all rejected. At the same time, when it comes to the gospel, we feel rejected. Remember that God told Samuel that it wasn't Samuel that was being rejected, but the people were actually rejecting God. So let's move on to the third and the last part of our message today. Remember we said it was response, rejection, but now let's get into revival. Verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. So we see here that the Gentiles heard what Paul was saying. They were in the, either in the same room or within earshot of what Paul was saying and rebuking these, 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 uh, these Jewish leaders. Uh, and their response was that, was that they, were, they were glad. These, these Gentiles were glad, and they honored the word of the Lord. So the third section in today's message is called Revival. And I want to spend a couple of minutes with you talking about revivals. You see, there, there have been very genuine revivals in the history of the church. At the same time, we often hear of, of false revivals. There have been a lot of books written on revivals, religious revivals. I'm not talking about Broadway revivals of some play on Broadway coming back after 40 years. I'm talking about the spiritual kind of revival, when, where people's hearts are changed, when people come back to church, when sons and daughters return. This is, this is the revival that we pray for. This is the revival that we, we want to see, when people's hearts are changed and, and, and people believe in the Lord. Now, these books that, that are written on revivals are interesting and typically all have a, uh, have a pretty good objective. The authors would like to see more people coming to Jesus, which is something we all agree with. More people repenting of their sins and realizing that Jesus took the penalty, that he paid the price, that their, people's sins can be forgiven, that they, become, they can become born again, they can become uh, children of God. Uh, that God is pouring out his, his grace and mercy on people. And, and there's nothing to fear. They just need to, to accept what God has, has already done. God will embrace them. And that way they can become children of God. Now some of the books say that revivals actually begin with, with fasting and prayer. And I can definitely see that fasting and prayer, which are two disciplines in the church, uh, are, are very much needed today. Um, some of the books say that revivals start when God's people admit, God's people admit that they're sinful and they repent of their sins. 
And, and I agree also that people need to realize that they are, they are sinners. Uh, the Bible says that, that we are all sinners, but we have an advocate, and that advocate is Jesus Christ. So if we sin, we want to be quick to repent. And we want this individually as well as for the church. Some of the books say that in order to have a revival, we have to have the, the right doctrine. You have to be able to go to the, to the right church. Um, now, uh, God will... I'm a little surprised at this, actually, because if we really take a look at revivals, God often surprises us. Uh, it's usually not where we expect it to occur. It, it breaks out in places that we would, we would least expect. Now, now, some other books say that in order to have a revival, we need to have a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit, accompanied with signs and wonders, miracles, tongues, healings, and that's actually not only required for revival, but it's the proof of a revival. Now, now see, I'm just as interested in, in anyone, in, in healings and the work of the Holy Spirit. I, I want to see more of that, not only in my own life, but in the life of the church. But here's the thing. I think a lot of these books miss it. The primary requirement, the most essential ingredient in revival is the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says that all Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It was the Word of God that these people during the times of Paul and Barnabas that were, they were honoring. It was the Word of God that was affecting their life. They were hearing the Word of God and their life was changing. They wanted to hear more. It said, verse 48 says, When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the Word of the Lord. They honored the Word of the Lord. That means that they believed. They, they believed and many of them were saved. Now we see this in the next two verses. Revival meant that the word of the Lord went out and, and changed life. And that's exactly what the word of God does. It, it changes lives. It awakens the dead. It, it forgives sins. It provides hope. It provides light in, in darkness. But also, <laughs> it's going to bring opposition. Verse 49 and 50, it says, And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all of the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from the region. So this has been a very busy couple of weeks for Paul and Barnabas. Paul preaches a great message in the synagogue. It's actually the longest recorded message in, of, of Paul in the Bible. The response is amazing. Both the Jews and the Gentiles respond to it. They want to hear more. Um, people come back the next week, that very next Saturday. Dr. Luke records that almost the entire city goes to hear Paul and Barnabas. The Gentiles love what they hear, but now we see that the Jews get jealous. Paul rebukes the Jews and turns his attention to the Gentiles. And as I said, this is going to be the, the pattern for Paul in the future. After this point in chapter 13, we no longer will see, we'll only see Peter, Peter the Apostle, one more time. The Bible says that Peter was the Apostle to the Jews and Paul was the Apostle to the Gentiles. And the rest of the book of Acts is primarily about Paul and his missionary journeys. So revival breaks out among the Gentiles, so much so that the Jews decide to get rid of Paul and Barnabas, and this is how they do it. They stir up the devout and prominent women and chief men of the city. Now, now why, did he, why did they do it that way? Why didn't they just take a, a group of military guys or some real tough dudes and just take Paul and Barnabas and beat them up and throw them out? Because, my friends, people that are prominent, 
people that are the leaders of the, of the city have so much invested in the status quo. They don't like change. And Paul and Barnabas are bringing lots of change. Gentiles are being saved. The Jewish synagogue will never be the same after Paul and Barnabas have been there. So the Jews go to the prominent and the chief leaders, prominent people and the chief leaders of the city, and they incite them. They stir them up and they remind them of all the things that they've got and all the things that they can lose if this gospel of Jesus Christ takes hold. So I want to have a last few comments on, on revival. Revival, whenever and wherever there's revival, according to these, what we see in these scriptures, there's also going to be opposition. Actually, a, what's called a counter-revival. Jewish opposition was strong enough to force Paul and Barnabas actually to leave the area. They went on to Iconium. They left this area. So, here's a, here's a question for you today. Do you know what the greatest revival in the church ever was? The, the greatest, had the, had the greatest impact. It was, had such a great impact uh, and it was met with so much opposition to, the, to this day it's not even noted as a revival. It's known by other words. Do you know which revival I'm talking about? Imagine Jeopardy music playing in the background while you're trying to come up with an answer. The greatest revival in the church ever was the Protestant Reformation. It was a revival that was not only preached by men like, like Martin Luther and John Calvin and Zwingli and Tyndale, but even the Roman Catholic Church had a response. They changed some of their things. After the Council of Trent, I mean, they, don't get me wrong, they didn't become Protestant or Evangelicals, but, but they changed as well. But with this revival came, came great, great persecution, great opposition. One of the outcomes of the Protestant, revi Protestant revival, the Protestant Reformation, was the Thirty Years' War in Central Europe. Um, it killed over eight, there was over eight million fatalities uh, that resulted not only from the war itself, but also from mob violence and, and uh, famine and plague. However, one of the outcomes also of this Protestant revival, this, this Protestant Reformation, was the greatest missionary work that the church ever had. The church went into, evangelists went into Africa, and then the Americas, when they, they were discovered, both the Americas, North and South America, and into Asia. And as a result, today, about 2.3 billion people identify themselves as Christians, more than one-third of the entire earth. So let's finish up with a look at these last two verses, verses 51 and 52. It says, so they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I love that picture of shaking the dust off your feet. You might think we don't do that, but we do. I mean, have you been walking along and all of a sudden you, you step in it? <laughs> uh, you know what I'm talking about. Here in Florida, we get to the beach often. And when we get to the beach, we, we have a great day at the beach in the sand, but when we get back to the car, we, we shake the sand off of our feet. And the reason is, is because we don't want to bring any of that sand back into our house. And this is exactly what Paul and Barnabas are doing. They symbolically shake the dust off their feet because they don't want to bring that, that, that spirit of unbelief, that, that unbelief and that, that, that bad response, that, that rejection with them. Uh, they just want to go on. They want to be able to, to celebrate what the Lord has for them. So they celebrate. They, they go on to Iconium, and it says that the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, our lesson today from the scripture is actually quite simple. 
when we're sharing our faith, and I don't care how you share your faith, whether it might be just talking to your children or just trying to give a, a word of encouragement to somebody at the store or your neighbor, your friend, or if you try to do something more formal than that. When you share your faith, there's going to be an initial response. And hopefully that initial response is that people want to hear more. But realize that often comes what comes after that is, is rejection. But here's the thing. If the Word of God is being shared, it's, the Word of God is going to bring about what is intended. And God's in charge of that process. Don't feel that you failed because you're initially rejected. Use the Word of God. Allow the Word of God to go out and to be able to have its intended effect. Lives will change. People will hear. They'll receive. And they will respond. That's, that's true revival. When people get the idea of understanding what the Word of God is, and that Word of God is able to change their hearts. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for the message today. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.